Welcome back to Manhunting, in which Waypoint and friends are working through the filmography of Michael Mann and examining his themes of labor and craft, capitalist oppression, and dudes rocking. Uh, today, as always, I'm joined by Nextlander's Alex Navarro. Alex, welcome I'm to the back. Show. Thanks for having me. Uh, our regular panelist, Dia Lucina, was unavailable for this one, and uh, we miss having her on this one and are thinking of her and her family. Uh, so today we are talking about Michael Mann's 2001 biopic Ali in which Will Smith portrays the legendary fighter as a man whose life intersects with and is shaped by the great sociopolitical forces roiling the world throughout the 60s and 70s. And I will say up front, this is a movie I'd only seen once. I think this might be the only man movie that I've only seen once. And I remember at the time being sort of mostly surprised that like wow michael mann made a like film about the racial politics of the 60s that he you know takes this detour away from like procedural uh films or crime films and makes uh in many ways a historic uh historical biopic but with a real focus on the issues of race and class uh and politics uh of the time and i think that probably impressed me unduly uh at the mm-hmm. at the, the first time i saw it uh in the context of just expectations i had of his work at the time revisiting it here and we were joking about this as we were we were getting prepped for this this feels very much like a movie of parts. In fact, in some ways, you kind of look at the two halves of Ali and see Michael Mann basically covering two other films that it seems like he just might really like and mm-hmm. might be really informing, perhaps overly much, uh, his approach to this this material. I don't know, Alex. It's like when I look when I look at Ali, I see Michael Mann very faithfully and respectfully nodding at spike lee's 1992 malcolm x mm-hmm. and the fighting documentary when we were kings yeah and when i saw Al- ali the first time i saw this movie in theaters in in 2001 when it came out and i had not seen either of those things prior to that um and i was even not even a particularly well versed in michael mann's filmography at this point i'd seen heat and maybe like one or two other things but that was pretty much it and I even then came away from the theaters, even, you know, the tender age of like 19, 20 years old, where I was not necessarily the most forthright critic of films that I would go to the bother to go to the theaters to see. Like I came out of this movie feeling like something was off. Um, I came out feeling like something in here was just not cohering for me in a way that really worked. And I it actually took me a long time because I have only maybe seen part of this movie once since. And it just really took this watch for me to kind of articulate exactly what it was that was bothering me back then. And having seen When We Were Kings and having seen Malcolm X and having seen also Michael Mann's other nod to the 60s in in Crime Story, I feel like the thing I finally landed on is that what he has in this movie is an earnest desire to apply his kind of filmmaking texture to these big momentous scenes of newsreel footage of you know live action footage of his boxing matches of all this stuff that michael mann clearly saw when it was happening and give it the flavor of his filmmaking the problem is that he never finds anywhere in this story a way to apply that stuff 
to the rest of the story he has to tell around the edges that is not just recreations of things he's really seen and ends up falling into these really, for him especially, kind of disappointing tropes of biopics to kind of fill out the story in and the drama of the story that isn't just stuff that he he knows because he can just look at the archival footage and say, this is what happened. Yeah, it is a perplexing misfire in some ways because if you told me, I didn't know this film existed, and mm. you told me that like, oh, you know, Michael Mann's next project is he's working on a movie about Muhammad Ali and sort of through the lens of like his four greatest fights. Yeah. I'd be like, yep. Okay. That's going to be amazing. That's Sign that, me like, up. perfect match of like director and material. Sounds awesome. And yeah, there's. Well, especially there's, coming off the insider. Like that's yeah. the thing is that like his last movie being this really great dramatic retelling of a thing that does have a little bit of live footage to go along with it, but mostly is him creating a dramatic story out of, you know, the backroom dealings and the stuff that people didn't see. Like, the way he tells that story, he gets the drama out without having to resort to too many, you know, like, true story tropes. And here it just feels like, I don't know if it was because this original screenplay, which him and another co-writer rewrote, or whatever, like, just had too much, you know, hacky shit in it, and they just never found a way to kind of get it back to what he wanted it. But, like, it's just a really disappointing attempt at turning that story into something cinematic. Yeah, and and to give you to give you sort of the outline of what happens in this film for those who haven't seen it, like, I'm going to tell you a lot of the stuff that happens in this movie. I think one of the issues we're going to return to is this is not a movie with an arc. And no. so there, like, there's a lot of stuff that happens and it sounds like you can sort of create a through line, but the film doesn't actually uh, do a great job of bringing one, bringing one out of the material. So the film uh, opens with his sort of arrival, uh, his rapid ascent to the top of boxing by uh, taking on Sonny Liston, a, which, a, a fight for which he was regarded as a terrible mismatch. Uh you know, Liston, a, a renowned and terrifying fighter uh, who dominated his age. And it covers the fact that uh, Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, uh, upset him uh, handily in, in a bout and quickly emerged as the foremost uh, boxer of his age. And also at the same moment was being uh, spiritually tutored by then Nation of Islam minister uh, Malcolm X. In his relationship with the nation, uh, Ali quickly, like increasingly comes under their sway and their management. And as the schism between uh, uh, between Malcolm X and uh, Elijah Muhammad begins to like open up into a full breach, uh, Ali chooses sides. He stays He stays with the nation. After he chooses sides and sort of turns his back on Malcolm, we see the end of that story with Malcolm X's assassination uh, in New York. Uh, Ali is, is badly shaken by this. Uh, he has a rematch with Sonny Liston, uh, you know, win, wins again and is now undisputed uh, the greatest fighter of his age. And at this moment... 
he is classified eligible for the draft to uh, the, the, the draft during the Vietnam War. And against the advice of many of his advisors and over the misgivings of many members of the Nation of Islam, uh, Muhammad Ali announces that he will not uh, be subject to the draft. Uh, he, he refuses to refuses to serve. Um, and he escalates matters by when asked by reporters uh, about it, he gives his in his is like infamous and legendary response as to the fundamental re- fundamental reason uh, why he won't go, uh, which is that no Viet Cong ever called him the N word. Mm-hmm. And this is a moment that is arrived at entirely uh, in his head. I think maybe one of the through lines is that in a lot of key moments in this, we get a brief very strange moments we get a brief like interior monologue that comes and goes um for for ali and at this point all the forces of politics uh and like mainstream boxing conspire to try and destroy his career uh that he is uh he is charged with uh charged with a crime for refusing uh to refusing the draft and uh, all the boxing commissions across the across the United States uh, further strip him of his title and ban him from future from future fights. And at this moment, with his fortunes at their bleakest, the nation also kind of abandons him as well and leave him twisting in the wind uh, as well as substantially broke, um, despite having been his bus- business manager for years. Uh, he is. He goes through a long court case. Uh, he uh, also meets and marries his second wife, uh, a a a fellow member of the of the nation, and he is sort of delivered by the Supreme Court case that gives him conscientious objectors uh, objector status, and he is booked for a fight against uh, new reigning champion Joe Fraser, and is demolished uh in that fight as he is out of practice and and unready for the fight and as he is beginning to renew his challenge uh against Frazier Frazier himself is uh defeated by a new upcoming fighter George Foreman and this sets up his culminating uh duel Foreman at the Rumble in the Jungle uh in Zaire uh in 1974 he go he goes there he while while he is over there he begins an affair with the woman who become his third wife uh, and also is forced to sort of confront the tension between his ideals uh, as a member of the Nation of Islam and also the fact that he is a celebrity working in one of the most morally compromised uh, fields in, the, in, in sports. And so despite many of his beliefs, he is also surrounded by enablers, by by con men. Uh, and in fact, the Rumble and Jungle is being, you know, underwritten by the Mobutu dictatorship in Zaire. Uh, and we get lots of like ominous cross cuts to his CIA handlers throughout this film uh, and FBI sur- surveillance agents who are keeping tabs on uh, Ali and all his friends. And in this fight that he is, again, sort of heavily favored to to lose, uh, he sort of alights upon the legendary strategy, the the rope-a-dope that enables him to allow Foreman to effectively punch himself out of the fight. Uh, and 
in probably what still rates as one of the most brilliant boxing victories uh, in history. One of one of the true master strokes. Uh, he 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 defeats the odds. He defeats uh, this this fighter who was poised to supplant him. Uh, and the film ends as the the you know the heavens open up as as they did uh, in the aftermath of that fight. And Ali is captured uh, at the end of the film, sort of at the at the zenith of his career. And for a lot of reasons, that film continues. The rest of the story is not as uplifting as the one that man chooses to terminate here. But one reason I stumble over that summary is because none of these pieces really fit together that well. Um, And I think let's, you know, let's let's maybe tackle let's tackle the opening honestly alex because like yeah the opening is i think one of the first things that like signals that there's something a little off here but to me it was like interesting but also like i don't get it and the, the more i think about like so it opens on a sam cook concert yes and a reenacted sam cook concert and by the way if my, if michael mann ever wants to shoot a movie where he's reenacting great concerts from history. I'm there for that. All this shit is great. Like he does this repeatedly throughout the film is like showcase uh, you know, per- musical performances uh, of the time. But yeah, it opens on footage from a Sam Cooke concert intercut with Ali jogging through the night, preparing for his bout with, with Liston and having, and also having flashbacks to his formative years in Kentucky. Yeah. Well, so my issue here is not with the choice to juxtapose this concert against, you know, him doing his training. Like, I think it's a nice little style exercise. Bloodsman stretches legs a little bit with his, you know, wanting to film a concert here. And also, you know, gives a context at the time. You know, like, this is the time when this story is taking place. And this time when this story is taking place is after Cassius Clay has already become a fairly well-known boxer, not a champion, but he's, you know, his boxing career is already off and going. Now, a standard biopic would would at the very least spend the first 10 to 15 minutes giving you some childhood, giving you some, you know, context for what his family life was like, how did he find boxing, all that kind of stuff. Anytime Ali's parents appear or family appears in this thing, it is purely as background flavor. Giancarlo Esposito plays his father, and there is no context for who this man is or what role he plays in Ali's life anywhere in the movie. Other than a few glances and a few one-off lines where it seems like he's getting along famously with uh, with Ali's trainer, played by, by, by Jamie Foxx, like, it just doesn't feel like it has any real... Not, not only just no notion about, like, feeling it's important to show any of that stuff... But also just no real idea of how to make his family life part of the connective tissue of the story they want to tell. Yeah, and I'm and I also feel like there's just so much here that like you're expected to make the connections. And I don't know if it's because the film is doing a good job visually making the connections or whether it is just because some of these things are such like well-worn touchstones for instance his father uh has a job painting devotional art at churches mm-hmm. uh throughout uh throughout the south 
And of course, a lot of his business is white churches and he is painting, uh, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed Jesuses on all these churches. And you see, you know, you, you, you see a young Ali sort of looking around at, you know, his surroundings, sort of contemplating uh, the the, you know, white European faces and features being portrayed in all this biblical art and then sort of looking around at the juxtaposition between, you know, him and his father and the, the white people that surround them. And like, but the thing is, does this have resonance mostly because we're all very familiar with the notion that like a lot of like Christian art in the United States and Europe is fundamentally like whitewashing the Holy land and religious Mm -hmm. history uh, and has like a white supremacist uh, purpose to it. Like, is this film basically just drafting off the scene in Malcolm X where he confronts the prison chaplain and sort of raises, raises this exact question of how come all the, you know, saints and, and disciples that we see in this art are white and we just we we know the bible even talks about the fact that there's indications that like these were like like brown semitic people um but like does man get us there or is it just that the film exists in the context where we're like yeah of course of course that's what this shot means i think that's what he he means it to mean but like it's like you said, like there is definitely a degree of if you are not paying rapt attention or you do not have this immediate context for this kind of stuff, it just kind of feels like window dressing. And it's similarly, I think it's kind of how the movie handles his faith in general, which is to say that there's a lot made about his relationship specifically with the Nation of Islam, which is fair. I mean, that's a big part of what that chunk of his story is. But there's really not very much in there about what Islam actually means to Muhammad Ali outside of the forces of the nation pushing in it, you know, pushing him in one direction or pulling him away from another. And, you know, you get a little bit in the scenes with Malcolm, who I think is very well played here by, by Mario Van Peebles. Like, obviously he's standing in the shadow of Denzel Washington's performance, which is a very tough one to do. Legitimately one of the greatest biopic performances in any movie ever. And he avails himself well here, but there isn't, a lot for Malcolm X to do in this movie outside of be a sort of tragic figure and an instructive point for where Muhammad Ali goes after his tragic death, after his assassination. You know, like that is, there's just not a lot of meat to what, how he's brought into the faith, what Ali, like how he, he perceives, you know, Islam as like the driving force in his life, which it clearly is to some degree, like it, it, it guides, you know, the women that he chooses to pursue. It guides the way that he, you know, like his his conscious beliefs about, you know, like the war and all that kind of stuff. But then there's also this wall up that's like never really breached as far as like where that really like factors in with his life and his it, what it means to him outside of just the influence of the nation. Yeah, it's I think part of it is. It's funny. There are there are moments where it's like Ali is too frustrating a figure in some ways for man to fully wrestle with him. Uh, right. Because he is kind of an unknowable personality because so much of it, like, you know, he's a showman at heart, you know, and like a lot of what he does in the public sphere is to rile up his opponents and to get crowds behind him. 
But uh, you would hope that a movie like this would be a little bit more invested in trying to dig into what's under that. Well, and the fact that I was thinking about this, I think in some ways you could see the film as like one through line I can see when I look at this film is that maybe the two most important victories he wages are moment he he achieves are, are moments where he takes it all inside himself, that all the key decisions are being made internally uh, without the coterie advisors who surround him. So like it is, there are a lot of people telling him what he could do or what he should do when he faces the draft board. Ultimately, when he chooses to deny the draft, um, that is something that nobody around him really wanted him to do. Uh, everyone right. understood that like this was a hugely risky play um, and would have a lot of, again, like, I think that this is maybe something else that the, I think any film would probably struggle to portray here. Um, the degree to which this guy was unpopular at this time is hard to fathom now because right. he, you know, us growing up, this was an American saint. This is like, this is an icon. Uh, yes. And all these things he did were steps in his, in his greatness. The film struggles to make concrete for us the degree to which people hated him for this choice. Yeah. And they don't um, really depict it is the thing. Like they, no. there's a lot of conversation in the background happening about, you know, like the way, way things are going down. But like, the only time you see him surrounded by crowds, by and large, it's either adoring fans in, you know, the inner city or it is being surrounded by reporters. And it is usually like sometimes they'll ask a pointed question and he'll give a glib answer. But like you don't really see the impact of what he's going through anywhere in this movie outside of him having conversations with his various wives and his handlers. Yeah. And and like. But the the other thing is, so, like, he makes these two key decisions that he keeps to himself, which is, like, I am going to fight the draft. Right. And the other thing, and this is weird, because, like, again, what connects these two things? I don't know. Like, these are his two greatest opponents. One is the U.S. government, and the other is George Foreman. Kind of a weird thing. But the other thing he does that, again, nobody fully is prepared for him to do is, like, how he figured out how he's going to fight Foreman. None of his, like, he, none of his, in that pivotal fight, He's out there alone carrying out a strategy that he's never told anyone about. Uh, everyone is baffled by it. And you, so the sort of through line I can put on this is that outside of those moments, Holly is kind of an ex inexplicable figure for the degree to which he lets himself be buffeted by these forces around him and controlled by these forces around him. And yeah. he's very disappointing in moments like they're like, there is a I, I agree. I think I think uh, like Mario Van Peebles is is excellent in this. And there's a moment that is just a gut punch, which is uh, in the in the wake of the nation sort of having tried to lay claim to Ollie and 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 keep and and keep him out of uh, like Malcolm's hands, they run into each other. Uh, you know, as their as their two trips to uh, Africa sort of overlap, and for a minute, Ali forgets the contact and is really excited to see his old friend. And then, like midway through, he remembers, "Oh wait, I'm not supposed to be friends with this guy. Uh, the nation doesn't want me to you be and, friends you with this guy." You and Elijah Muhammad shouldn't quarrel. Yeah, 
and just sort of turns his back on him. But it, like, he's kind of a frustrating figure in those moments because it's like, it's not, he is letting him, he's letting some important choices be made for him. But the thing that doesn't come through is like, why does he let these decisions be made for him? Why, why is he sort of a rube when it comes to the nation? Uh, and you know, the way, the ways they manage or mismanage him. Uh, we, we don't like, it feels like we never fully explore. Like, why does this character who in some ways is capable of these moments of being like, I'm going to chart my own path. Why at these other moments is he so suggestible? Uh, yeah. the film doesn't get us at a, like, what is the essential nature of this man, uh, that has these extremes. And it's it's possible that the the conclusion they came to, you know, the writers and and man is that he is simply a capricious individual, and there is the, to a degree as much as you think you can know him, you can't because in the end he's going to do what he wants to do in the moment when he decides it's the right thing to do, and th- I mean that comes across a little bit. The problem is that the story they are telling around that personality does not really lend itself to the kind of heroic sports story they are trying to, you know, basically to build themselves toward. And the lengths that they have to go to to try and make this, you know, big triumphant thing at the end, it just doesn't gel. Like, it just doesn't fit together. It feels like, well, you know, Ali didn't tell anyone what he was going to do, and uh, that was a weird move, but it worked, so hey, everyone's excited. Like, it just has this... It doesn't land, you know? It doesn't land the way that it should. No, and it's funny because it, it's like there, there's a number of lenses that man almost tries to put on him and just can't commit to one. And you'd almost see like, well, what he's going for is for an effect of like, here's different, here's a bunch of ways of looking at, at Ali. But because he never really alights on one, he never sort of tries to figure, he never arrives on one that seems to have much explanatory power for for the figure that he's making this film about like the opening is trying out this notion of like ali is one of the great artists of his generation i think that that opening Mm -hmm. gambit is entirely you know we have two things one is like sam cook and the cop car is driving by him at night on his run it is the you know we're, we're brought to mind of all the perils that surround like black men you know, at all points uh, in their life, Sam Cooke's, you know, eventual fate is a testament to that. But also there, the other parallel being drawn is he is both one of the great, like black artists of this time. And he is one of the great black political figures of this time that yes. he, like the film kind of is positioning him as both. And in a lot of ways, one of the few to make it out of this era. Um, one of the few, one of the few artistic geniuses and prophets to survive the sixties and seventies. There are literally two assassinations in this movie of of figures of the of that stature, and the Malcolm X one. You know, they 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 give some weight to. I feel very badly for Levar Burton as Martin Luther King Jr. here, who is in half a scene and then dies, and that his death scene is really only used to explain that the, uh, the, oh God, what is his Chauncey name? Chauncey Eskridge. Um, yeah, Chauncey Eskridge it was there, and Joe Morton was there, and so, Dude. like, they can get a shot of Joe Morton standing over his body. One of the most whiplash moments, I'd forgotten this part, is he's, he's, he's filling in, they give you a date, and he's filling in, he's filling in, uh, 
uh, Ali on what's going on with his case. And you're like, you get a date and you're like, why did I get a date? And then you, then you notice like, Hey, that's a, that's a two story motor motel. court motel. Yeah. And that, that the fence railing is giving me bad vibes. And then like a second later, it's like, yep, this is the place. And in this film, like it's, and the way these are connected is his lawyer, uh, a, a civil rights activist, uh, and legendary figure, his own right was, was there handling his case and also, uh, you know, Martin Luther King's case at the same time. He's there for the assassination. Uh, but there are moments where this film edges up on Forrest Gump territory in terms mm-hmm. of Ali as just the guy who's always there. He's and the glue that handles like that is that is the, the connective tissue between every major civil rights event of this era. And in case and, and then when that connective tissue doesn't exist, man will be like. I'm going to put some FBI agents or CIA agents in the margins of these scenes looking ominous. This is the thing that drives me the most up the wall about this movie is that, and it's not because he's choosing to do this. It's the way he's choosing to do this because yes, there is a really interesting potential undercurrent story to be told here about the way that American government forces and the way that the government manipulated media and manipulated media against figures like Ali who, you know, stood in the way of their ultimate ends by, you know, being a vocal opponent of the war, you know, that they were engaged in and the civil rights movement for that matter. But they have no understanding of how to tie those scenes into the actual story that they are telling. Like it every time the 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 CIA handler happens or they cut to the FBI guys, you know, running tape in a hotel room somewhere it feels completely disconnected from what it what the story is that they're actually trying to tell and like it feels like they are free floating pieces of a much longer movie that mostly got left on the cutting room floor it's bizarre it's like in that scene where he's talking to malcolm for what's going to be the last time yeah we zoom in on a hotel room window where cia observers are reporting into their boss on what's going on. The boss is on the phone in an African palace in Zaire, uh, as it turns out. And he gets off the phone. He goes down the hall to oversee an execution of Lumumba and his uh, loyalists as Mobutu takes power. And it's like just bizarre. These are bizarre. And then they cut to Mobutu, like walking into a room and just being like, it's done. And everyone's like, okay, so clearly this is Mobutu coming to power. They're going to find some way to, like, tell these stories in parallel. But no, we don't see Mobutu again until the rumble in the jungle. And it's for a one scene bit with the (coughs) CIA guy and General Idi Amin. And they're just sitting around a table looking sinister. That's it. There is nothing else to that story. And again, it's like. I hope it's, it's this is a 2001 movie. So like, I hope the audience has their encyclopedia with them or something to figure out why these figures are like so important or what this legacy of intervention means. Cause you just aren't going to get it from here. Like Mobutu shown adjacent to an execution. Yeah. Seems, seems bad, but like you don't, the, the thing that he, he alludes to, but doesn't fully sketch out is like in the background of this of this pan-africanism 
that Ali is embracing, you also have a like pan-African establishment of dictatorships uh, with the sponsorship of the CIA to both sabotage political development in Africa uh, to like maintain access to resources and like socioeconomically like kneecap these countries. Right. Um, and turn them into just like places that can be like strip mined uh, effectively. But you don't get that in this film. Um, well, and the thing just- is, you can't you can't get that in the actual story either, because in the end, as much as this movie wants to make this this end bit as the big triumph, the comeback, the reclaiming of what was rightfully his in, you know, the title that was stripped of him during the course of his, you know, his his. Years in the desert, shall we say, uh, in the boxing world. And, you know, even the, the documentary we, When We Were Kings doesn't fully dig into this aspect either, but they at least like allude to it more and talk more about it, is the fact that in the end, Ali agrees to take $5 million from one of these dictatorships, from one of these, you know, these, these forces that are working against the kind of pan-African sort of, you know, uh, movement that he wants to be a part of ostensibly and there is no lip service even paid to the idea that there should be a conflict there in his thinking in what he's doing and maybe that's because there wasn't one but that's a thing you can tell in that story to complicate to like actually add texture and complicate what we know about muhammad ali but this movie has neither the wherewithal nor seemingly the coherence to make that happen well, and what's weird is so those those arguments are presented by Belinda, uh, his, right? His wife, the second and, wife, and she is sort of the the chorus in a lot of this, being like, um, "Hey, why are you, why are you letting your shady fucking manager uh, Herbert, uh, played by uh, Barry Hanley, a a a, a regular man uh, collaborator?" Um, but he, but he is very much a opportunistic, uh, like businessman associated with the nation. And, you know, Belinda points out that when he lost his boxing, uh, license and all this stuff, you know, his old manager, Herbert, uh, was, was nowhere to be found. Neither was, was the nation. And so she was, you know, she at one point begs him like, Hey, if, if you make your way back into the upper echelons of boxing, can you please surround yourself with different people? And he doesn't. He is a complete, uh, you know, her, all Herbert has to do is show up and Ali makes him eat a little bit, cr- little, little bit of crow. And it's yeah, done. It makes him feel bad, but that's about it. Yeah. And then later uh, in, in Zaire, Belinda sort of points out that like, hey, this is a wildly corrupt uh, dictatorship where we're at. Uh, Don King, who's putting this together, uh, really brilliantly channeled by uh, Michael T. Williamson. Uh, like she points out that this whole thing just stinks to high heaven. It it, yeah. it seems like one of the shadiest promotional bouts uh, that she can imagine. And his response is, "What I am trying to do effectively," he says. You know, I need I need badasses to get this done effectively. I need people who are going to be shady, who are utterly without shame who are willing to like take these deals because they're the only ones who can get it done, which is an interesting argument. And again, 
could have been the the you know could have been the framework for a, a better film right of Ollie has like these grand visions and and ambitions but also at the same time recognizes their that their intention with the fact that however big his star is he is a boxer and has to deal with the sorts of people glom on the boxers and right. everything all the social progress he he seeks to make will be done through the machinery of the boxing publicity uh you know world but no the film just kind of leaves it there where it's yeah. like yeah it leaves it right on the table <laughs> what do you what do you want from him i mean now just it, just hang out and let him go have his affair stop being such a buzzkill it's it's problematic because it like it does leave it on the table but it's also couching a lot of this stuff in a lot of really leaden dialogue that is very heavy on the like biopic. Here's your big like trailer moment kind of delivery type stuff. There's a line in there where she's like, why is my Muslim husband being strung up on a cross? You know, and it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ with this with this writing. Like it just it leaves the characters feeling like bad caricatures and it doesn't feel like it's actually getting to the root of any of the reality of like what these characters were thinking and doing at the time. And it just makes it feel very like 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 filmic in a really dumb way, not in a good or interesting way. Yeah, it's <sighs> I think one of the things that I like in man's filmography is that he's a guy of eclectic interests. If you look yes. at like the stuff he's doing, like you're always like, where did the insider come from? What's what's going on mm -hmm. here? Just like some some weird left and right turns. He read this uh, article and was like, fuck, this will make a good movie. Let's do it. Yeah. With Ali, you see sort of the the dark side of that, which is that he can't figure out. He never like sets to an angle of making this movie. Um, no. And that lack of an angle, that lack of like. So just before we did this, I, I ended up watching. Um, I watched Malcolm X uh, for mm -hmm. the first time in like 20 years. And as I often do, like. I'm I always forget how fun Spike Lee's movies are. Um as even the, yes, even the no matter how dark the subject matter is that he's approaching, he always finds a way to bring energy to what he is depicting. But also a thing I forget is that like he's kind of, he can be a stylistic chameleon. He has his like he he has his shots that he goes to the 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 dolly mm -hmm. the dolly shot yes, dolly you know, that's the, the that iconic stuff, yeah. Spike Lee shot yeah absolutely but like when I go to when I go to Malcolm X in so many ways he is making a boilerplate old school we're talking old school like nineteen thirty like I watched uh, Newt Rockney All American a few months ago as and one like, does yeah as one does uh, and like that type of biopic. Ali is using some of that framework, but repurposing it to tell the life story of Malcolm X. And like you realize, so partly is I think Spike is mimicking the style of contemporary film for where the story is at. So like when Malcolm is on the streets of Boston and New York, it's a 1930s biopic slash gangster film. Right. Uh, later on, it's more of a new wave uh, character study, but the biopic template that he sort of cleaves to, it solves a lot of problems. It's a bit didactic. You mm -hmm. get, you know, you have a lot of like, I'm going to let this, I'm going to show this character speechify. I am going to like show this character, have his big moments. I'm going to give you some context for all that. Some characters are going to speak a little uncomfortably in exposition, but 
it also manages to convey a whole lot of information and context uh, without like burdening it too much. Man is a little like you have those you have those clunkers of lines in it, but then also so much of the film seems like he like he's like maybe if I just make this enough of a stylistic collage, something will emerge. Yeah. Like, okay, so a couple things here. Like, I agree with you 100% on Malcolm X. He is definitely pulling from, like, that classic framework. The difference is that Lee, I feel like, has a complete understanding of who this character is and how to tell his story in a way that any audience can digest and understand. And even a white audience that might have had deeply you know, rotten feelings about Malcolm X and his Because 1992, the redemption was not on. No, not 100, by no means. And I think that that movie went a long way to contextualizing who Malcolm X was, what his importance was, but also who he was as a person underneath what everyone perceived him to be that is, in, in totality, a complete look at the man. And at least as far as anyone has tried to portray him up to this point. In this movie... And it's telling, I'll get to another point here in a second, but it's telling that we haven't really talked about this much at all yet. Yep. Man is relying very much on his stylistic bag of tricks to give flavor and texture to scenes that people already know. And he is hoping and praying that Will Smith's magnetism as Muhammad Ali will carry the story forward when the script does not have the weight underneath it to, to float it along. And the problem is, while Will Smith gives what I would call a completely serviceable and, you know, solid impression of Muhammad Ali, even in the quieter moments, I think he's better in those scenes than a lot of the other actors are because there's just a little, like, he's he's trying for something there in those scenes at least. But... He's never more electric than when he's just doing a riff on something that you can see on newsreel footage. Yep. When he is taking something that is literally there for him to look at and roll around and make into something that he can utter and deliver. But when other than that, there is just not a lot else to this performance to lock onto. I remember a few years after this, Jamie Foxx made Ray. Yes. And I remember an interview that he gave uh, with Terry Gross on Fresh Air, I think, where he's talking about. She was talking to him about, like. Being such a convincing Ray Charles, and he gets to this thing about, like, the difference between doing an impression and channeling. And he's like, he's like, if you do an impression, no matter how good you are, no matter how much you mimic a person, you're just still only doing an impression. And right. that's going to limit your range. That's going to limit what you can do. He's like, what I'm doing is channeling. Like if, if like you look at that performance, you say like, ah, that's, that, that's Ray. Uh, it's because like the impression might be inexact, but if the, if you, the feel of the character is, is right, you don't care how exact the impression is. And yeah. Smith throughout all of this, feels like he's the embodiment of, a, of an, of an actor who gets like stuck doing an impression. And yeah. can't figure a way out of it. Maybe that's because the material isn't there to like to pull him out of it. But like, I'm astonished on the one hand at like how well he can deliver some of those like iconic moments and like speeches, and at the same time, how flat the performance seems. Yeah, uh, throughout so much of this. And it's I think the scenes where it really 
it was a challenge for me to find stuff to like. I honestly, and I, I, I remembered liking this performance a little bit more, but like watching this movie, I feel like I, I did not, I did not gel with it at all. In this one is, is John Voight's Howard Cosell. Like in the scenes when they are just, you know, in the chair together doing the television interview, they are both hitting the notes. Like they are representing the notes. They are playing along to the music that they have rehearsed over and over and over again. The second they get off camera and they're trying to, you know, deliver like what is the behind the scenes relationship between these two characters? Smith pulls back and Voight just turns into Nate from Heat. Like his voice, it just kind of gets into this low gravel that maybe that is how Cosell talked when he wasn't broadcasting, but the f- the delivery just feels completely different. And not in a way that feels natural. It feels like him getting into serious acting mode in a really visible way. And those scenes just fall deeply flat in a way that I, I didn't even remember until I rewatched it. It's. God, I feel like. Cosell's another character that's hard to do. Like, they're both characters who are, are so distinctive. Uh, yeah. in the way the news real, real footage exists that it's tough to imagine like okay what does this person sound like when they're not playing to the camera uh, but yeah like those are those are those are weird moments uh, and the fact like, that the part where he's just like you know they they do the big television and they're all boys with him, he's like alright Ollie you know they're gonna come for you right and it just it, it doesn't feel like the conversation those two characters would have had, not in the way that they are doing it. No, no. Uh, I think the the other the other thing that's missing here, though, is that this movie has no fucking antagonist. No, it's like, trying to create one. And other than the U.S. government, it cannot <sighs> con- conceive of one. And the reason and I think one reason it can't is because the film does not want to deal with how mean Muhammad Ali could be and how much he played into colorism when it came Mm -hmm. to making himself the hero of some fights against some, like the fact that Joe Frazier shows up in this film and they're just buddies. And it's like, Hey man, like anything can do for you and your family. Like, I know things are hard for you. And it's like, and podcast that that may have been how Joe Frazier felt before what happened happened. Uh, that is not how Joe Frazier ends up feeling about Muhammad Ali after the next five no. years of water go under the bridge. And it's because, like, you know, people who follow the fights back then will tell you, like, there were times Muhammad Ali was a really hard guy to like because, yeah. like, Joe Frazier was a likable fighter in a lot of ways. And Ali made him a joke. And, like, we see allusions to it with the fact that, like, you know, they play up the fact that he calls Sonny Liston a big dumb bear. Those aren't the only comparisons he drew uh, mm-hmm. when he was when he was like building up heat behind a fight. And so like some of what you're dealing with here is that as likable as this guy could be, also this dude knifed a lot of the best black athletes of his generation as well, uh, in part to like work the crowd. And win favor, uh, you know, in the in the media fight before the fight. And like you can attribute some of that to just the nature of competitive boxing and the way that it sort of like swallowed personalities and, you know, definitely like lifted up people who were the most vocal and the most personable. But at the same time, yeah, like it just the movie has no real sense 
of why those dynamics existed between him and those other boxers. You know, like Sonny Liston is basically just a cranky asshole who fucking, you know, apparently cheats at one point during his match, which I looked that up and I think that's it's somewhat contested as to wait, what wait, actually what's the, happened what's there. The bit that- well, there's the bit like where he stings his eyes, remember? And like he's talking about like, you know, I can't see, I can't see anything during the fight. Mm. And the movie basically says, like, Sonny Liston whispers to his eyes, like, put him on the gloves, put him on the gloves. You know, like, basically saying, whatever the stuff you're using for my cut, just put it on the gloves. But I don't think that's ever really been established as 100% what happened. Like, there's some illusions that, like, maybe the trainer accidentally smeared some on his glove or something like that. But the movie is just like, no, he's a, he's a guy who will, who will fucking tell his trainer to put, you know, some kind of salve on his, on his gloves so that, you know, he can get an edge in the fight. And I don't look, I don't know that much about Sonny Liston, but that felt like a pretty unfair, like, you know, way to sort of just like dump that character. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing is. Y- y- the thing you get, the, the, the thing that's lost here is they're all legendary fighters. Yeah. And here they're speed bumps. Like the thing you totally. like, again, unless you know something about Sonny Liston, you do not realize that like. Oh, you know, if this guy gets a clean shot at you, you'll just be dead. You'll be done. Yeah. Um, and so, like, how do you how do you plan out about against a guy who, if he gets one or two of his like signature like punches in on you, that's the ball game. Like, there is not a there is not a boxer alive who's been able to like stand there and like trade trade blows with this guy. Um, that's missing here. Same with yeah. Like the weird thing is watching this after watching We Were Kings when we were kings. Um problematic documentary in a lot of ways like this thing like like speaking of spike lee boy they really kind of just shove him to the side of that thing just so they can talk to george plimpton and uh, norman mailer <laughs> we're we're taking turns just one up each other on like both being full of shit yeah um and also like exoticizing every aspect of this so fight. much and then the then the documentary is like yeah uh, you know the part where Norm, where George Plimpton is like a witch doctor told me that uh, a succubus was going to put the trembling hand on Foreman, and we we get intercut with that uh, a a woman performing at the uh, you know during sound checks for the for the concerts that attend this thing, and they just use this one clip of her uh like over and over again yeah like it's like it's a great documentary but like there's an issue of perspective in that story but but the thing and this is their thing there's some things that like as good as man is you just can't do better than some of the like live documentary footage no when they reenact they're george foreman hitting a heavy bag you know what that's still less impressive than the documentary footage of George Foreman hitting a heavy bag and seeing that thing billow out like a flag in the wind. Yeah, just like just a straight up dent in the center of that thing. And it is. Yeah, it, it's it's captivating. And it's also kind of baffling that like. Man chooses to discard some of the stuff that actually contextualizes why Foreman wasn't the crowd favorite, why he wasn't getting the sort of, you know, the response that Ali was, you know, there wasn't George Foreman Beaumayer, it was it was all Ali Beaumayer. And the reason for that, by the way, I think they also misspell Beaumayer and all the graffiti in this movie, which is a little vexing. But uh, th- but there's a whole thing of, like, most of the people in Zaire did not know that George Foreman was black. They assumed he was a white champion. 
And then when he did get there, he brought a German shepherd with him, who was his dog, which, you know, I in out of context, you think, okay, sure, a guy brought his dog with him, whatever. But in Zaire, it's a big deal because the Belgians use German shepherds as police dogs during the most brutal times of the occupation there. And so there was this immediate disconnect and kind of offense taken by the people of Zaire when he arrived. And the movie could use that stuff to kind of flavor text why, you know, George Foreman is not really getting the crowd response and why Ali is able to capitalize on that. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't treat him with even the amount of respect necessary to explain why he's the villain of their story. No, and, and the funny thing, too, is I remember in, um, you know, again, to the theme of, like, sometimes Ali is the less likable guy in some of these fights. You get those clips in uh, When We Were Kings of George Foreman is funny, but he uses the fact he doesn't talk as a source of humor. Um, right. He is. He, he leans he's very laconic, he's very brusque, like very short to the point, but like his lines can be funny. And also, there's just a moment where he talks about, I just don't want people to be, like, saying, like, George, kill it. Like, that's not what I'm about. He's He's got, there's a little bit of, like, the flower child uh, in, yeah. in him, where he's, like, that's not what, he's a fighter, but he's not, like, bloodthirsty for it. He doesn't like, the, he's already a little off-put by the bloodthirstiness surrounding this particular bout. Um, he's a little yeah. out of sorts by it. Whereas Ali fully leans into it. Uh, and we get the scene of him, like... You know, again, just channeling parts of this documentary, which uses tons of B-roll of him, like jogging the streets of, uh, of of the city and like being surrounded by cheering children and such and 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 hearing that chant. And here it's given like really heavy handed musical overlay. And it's like this is his awakening to his life's purpose. But it's like, is it like is like what's being awakened here? It's it's not clear. Um it's 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 kind of frustrating and i think it suffers from the fact that in all these fights it's just kind of like how's he going to win this one and at no point yeah. is he appropriately matched with like here is an antagonist like this movie desperately needs uh a like to his to his like vincent hanna he desperately needs uh neil mccauley and, and there's just it, none here. There's none here. And I just think I'm mean, part of the problem is there just isn't that person. Like none of these fighters are people that you can point to and say like, well, that guy was a piece of shit. So of course I want to see Ali, you know, beat him. Like that was not the nature of his rise of his, you know, his being stripped of the title and his comeback. And when it tries to gesture at other villains, the nation of Islam and their influence, the U S government and the way they are trying to control him, uh, you know, Don King, who is really just kind of there, or really gets admonished once and otherwise is not really a big factor in the storytelling here. Like, it just can't seem to commit to which one of those it wants to make the central point. I think the closest it gets is the, tr you know, the sort of tense off and on again relationship with the Nation of Islam. But even there, once he kind of gets back into the fold, they don't really talk about it that much again. Well, and then he's like, so the thing they introduce late is he meets his he meets he meets his third wife uh, while like in Zaire, yeah, in Zaire, waiting for this fight to go off. And then in the big confrontation with uh, with, with Belinda, like we get the moment where she's like, "I will tolerate all the casual infidelities, but." 
you are humiliating me with this this woman you've taken up with uh while we're we're here and it's like wait when did that happen also right. when did the whole like devout uh you know member of the nation thing like where did that go like we saw also the- what were the infidelities we didn't get to see any of that stuff it all happened off screen we see a huge fucking deal of like how things with uh uh, Sonji, uh, played by uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, we see how that falls apart because she's simply not a modest enough uh, Muslim for him, and like she doesn't like uphold the standard he wants to project as a like fairly new convert to the nation. And it's like cool. That's a okay. That's a big part of his character. His second wife like does fit that mold. Like this is someone that like does sort of agree with the values that he wants to live his life by. And hey, people change over the years. Clearly, he did as well. But you're just sort of sitting there being like, so, so wait, he's having tons of casual affairs. And like, so the the whole conflict from the first act, the, from the first act that's just kind of like done now. Um, yeah. And the Nation of Islam stuff doesn't really matter. Yeah. And I look, if I was if I was Belinda and I was watching this portrayal, I would be super fucking mad because one, it you know, it doesn't resolve itself at all. Like there's no, there's no sense of her leaving even. Like she's, it is she's just, so thrilled he won that fight. Yeah. Her and the woman that he is now taking up with are both cheering for him during the course of that, that fight. And I'm sure that's, you know, rooted in some kind of history, but like the way it's portrayed here is these women, Ali means so much to them that it doesn't matter that there is this, you know, infidelity, that there is this breach of trust between at least Belinda and and him. Like, she just wants to make sure he comes out okay. And it's like, I can't fathom that really being what's going through her head in that moment. There has to be more conflict there than just a a simple, like, I want my husband to win no matter what. Yeah. Um, and it just, it can't, and, and I think part of it is this, this film, this film is so admiring of Ali that it can't bring itself like the same way it evades the fact that his relationship with his rivals was often kind of toxic and awful. It also can't quite face up to the fact that like, like, like a lot of, you know, capital G great men this is a guy whose home life was a mess and full of contradictions. And all we get is the other part is there's so many moments where like something needs to land. And unfortunately, because of the limitations of this Will Smith performance, he becomes like Ali just seems callow in so many places Mm -hmm. that happy horse shit. He spins uh, Veronica when they're talking later is he's basically trying to be like, yeah, we're going to have a fair, but it's cool. Don't worry about it. Um, You know, the whole like, man, I just want to be the, uh, I'm a very loving person. I just, you know, it makes me the best uh, and most loving husband ever, but also the worst. And in that moment, you're like, am I supposed to take this guy seriously? Yeah. Like, am I supposed to be like, wow, what a, what a great love story this is. Like, this is this is lame shit. Yeah. And again, I think it's extremely illustrative of the non-committal way that they the whole film approaches how they want to present Muhammad Ali. It is a it is a film that feels simultaneously adoring of him and also afraid to actually touch 
any of the more pain points about like who he was as a person beyond the stuff that they can kind of, you know, they can kind of tie together with external factors like, you know, the nation and the U.S. government and the, you know, the way in which that uh, his his fall and re-rise in boxing, like all that stuff is the stuff is the those are the dark moments that they choose to fixate on because anything else would require a greater understanding of the man and a more more thoughtful and more willingness to show the warts of someone that is seen as so great and you know i have no disagreement with the idea that muhammad ali was a great figure and a great man and you know an incredibly important person for the civil rights movement i just think that his story deserves something more willing to actually engage with who he was as a person than what man is willing to do here. Honest to God, the entire time I was watching it, especially after watching When We Were Kings, I was like, this should have been Spike Lee's movie. Yep. This, I mean, not that I want to box him into the idea of just doing biopics of like prominent black figures, but like you could, I could see him at least being willing to engage with the aspects of his character that are not, you know, not the most rosy and not the most showy. Yeah, and, and I think I think it is in part to me. To, to me, it also feels like there are so many places in this movie where it almost feels like you can see, like if the film had footnotes, like man, just have a C Malcolm X, nineteen ninety two D Spike Lee, uh, because there's just parts where he's like, you know what, I'm not going into the story because the definitive version of that on film already exists so i'm just going to like set that aside which is very understandable uh and you know obviously that is like you know the the definitive film was uh made made on that front but at the same time it means that the the nation of islam stuff just kind of kind of ends up being a damp squib uh and and kind of kind of forgotten about um and instead like you know elijah muhammad becomes just yet another kind of charlatan that surrounds uh ali as as kind of does throughout his career uh the other thing there's something they that man does repeatedly in this film so the soundtrack is great the license soundtrack is great yeah the score I have some issues and there's a move that man makes repeatedly and every single time it drives, it just, it kills it for me. So he lovingly recreates these bouts. Yeah. Um, Like he is from a shooting perspective. He does a great job with it. I will say like the cinematography during the fights, I was a little off with some of the digital cinematography they're doing here. Like the up close, you know, handheld camera, you know, rapid fire punches kind of coming at the camera stuff is like a little overused. Yeah. I like I feel like great. he's trying to get across like the speed at which it would seem like if you're just yeah. a normal mortal in these things. And it's just like, you know, it looks it looks manageable from the vantage of like the TV cameras. But if you were if you are in Ali's shoes, the speed of about is like lethal. Totally. But he goes that every time and it's just kind of like at this point, it'd be like, it, like you know what it is? GoPros don't exist yet, but it's the corniness mm-hmm. of like we just put a GoPro on someone's forehead and we just had them like do a, do a few boxing totally. drills. Uh, but for the most part, these fights are like intimate. They're scary. Uh, they're violent. They're intense. Uh, the boxing arena is a 
perfect environment for cinema, right? Like they're they're overlit. Uh, you can you can play it up so that it's almost like a black box theater. Uh, in terms of like everyone just disappears uh, outside the ring because it's so overlit. Um, but like, yeah, these the these fights like generally look terrific. But in the big ones, as Ali begins to like work it around in his favor, triumphant music starts to play. Like uh, like the Every score time. begins to swell. And it's like, yep, I, I get it. I'm supposed to be thrilled. This is supposed to be how this is happening. But here's the other thing. It's still a vicious fucking boxing bout. Like you can like you can put whatever score you want, but honestly, you're doing a disservice to what you're showing, which is this is an intensely violent, uh, scary sport. And so the music begins to swell and to be so much more effective. It's like, dude, this is just a combat sequence. Like yeah. there's, there's no, there, there, like you're, you're trying to impose an arc on something that it, this is blood sport. Um, like the, the, this is not shot like Rocky. That's not how this is being. That's not how this film is assembled. That's not how these fights are being shot. And yeah, every time they just try to create this, like here, here's Ali rising to greatness again. Uh, it really undercuts the great work like man has done in staging these things. Yeah, I think the one time I would have allowed it is kind of the end of the Rumble of the Jungle fight because the big swell of that uh, Salif Keita song tomorrow, like I think that, let me put it this way, I watched that movie like five days ago and that song has been stuck in my head pretty much since. And it's a great song, but also the way it swells in that moment with the rain coming down and everyone cheering. Again, in a movie that had a better build to that moment, it had a better villain and a better arc to all of this. That would be one of the most triumphant scenes in sports cinema, but it just doesn't have any of those things. And the song is really the only thing kind of carrying the emotional weight of it. That and like the visual of the rain pouring down on everyone. And again, I I, I think it, that one I would allow, but elsewhere it really does feel overused. And it feels like as good as a lot of the music in this movie is, it's deployed in such a weird way. Like the length of those different concert scenes just the the random use of Moby at one point, you know, I mean, obviously this is Moby phase, but like it just kind of it kind of sticks out from the rest of the soundtrack, which is very focused on on black music in a lot of ways. And I just I don't know, like I. I kind of feel like man is just out of his element here in a lot of ways, and he's trying to throw things that he knows how to do into the mix, and none of them are sticking the way he wants. It's you know, it's like we've traveled 20 years or so and he's still got the same things he struggles with in crime story. Yeah. Which is like, but he's got much more budget to work with. Right. But like crime story still has all these scenes of being like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be like one of the in crowd at a black blues club? Wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, Yeah. And it's like, it, it would, but like the, the this movie sort of stands with his nose pressed against the glass, uh, mm-hmm. you know, trying to trying to get in there, and it just it it, it can't like there's there's too much there's too much admiration uh, for for the for the moment the culture uh, in 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 man's take on this there's too much admiration for Ali uh, as a figure that it feels like he can't quite every other man protagonist the things that make them unbearable are closely intertwined to the things that like make them the heroes of the story right. in some ways. And he even tries to put some of this in, in Ali's mouth where he's like, you know, you, you, um, you know, 
there's an inner monologue part where it's like I'm a man ready to die uh for mm-hmm. this to 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 win this fight. I am willing I am willing to die for this. Then it's shades of like James Khan and Thief and whatever. I will, you know, I will lose I will give up everything in order to uh keep you from like dominating me and such. But it just doesn't fully work here. It's just like it's it's an attempt to like create sort of a like a compelling sketch, but because the film doesn't show much cost for that, uh, that that it doesn't show much like here's the dark side of that persona, then it doesn't really have much bite as a virtue either. Yeah, it feels like in going into this man thought Ali was a figure that fit perfectly into the kind of driven protagonist, the kind of like single minded protagonist that he is very you know, I'd say largely dedicated to portraying in in the majority of his stuff. And I wonder if just somewhere along the way he realized he's not that. And the ways in which he is complicated simply, I they, they were either eluding him or he just couldn't find a way to tell that story that made sense to him. So he tried to give it, you know, make it a style exercise. He tried to yeah. make it something that was a little less, you know, linear and a little less, you know, focused on the singularity of the character, but he would have needed a better performance to make that work. And it's not, again, it's not that I think that like Will Smith is bad in this movie. He's not, but he's doing a very standard biopic portrayal of a figure that figure that I think deserved and needed a lot more texture than what he was able to offer. Yeah, it's uh, you, I mean, you see how they get it. Will Smith is the guy to play him because. Uh, you oh, know. yeah, it's an easy call. Oh, like, yeah. Honestly. Like who like who else? Who are, who are you going to get to sell uh, all these rhymes effectively? The 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 sort of pre bout uh, gab that was his is trademark. Like like Will ironically, Smith, I think Jamie Foxx could have also done it, but Jamie Foxx wasn't quite at that. I feel like he like what was it? any given Sunday was ninety nine. Yeah. So, yeah, like he was, you know, he was a couple of years into like, okay, he's getting some plum roles now, but I don't know if he was carry this movie level yet. No. And I mean, uh, but you can see like this is certainly one man decides he is uh, because like Jamie Foxx is given the character actor role of Bundini and nails it as far like as far as the film is concerned, like his performance of Bundini uh, is like captures why he's like the boon companion of Ali, uh, no matter how straight and narrow Ali strives to be. And also why he is a bit of a, at times a charity case for Ali as well. A guy who gets lost yeah. in the world very easily. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, you, you see how they end up at, at Smith as sort of a, a natural Ali. Uh, but he's he's so he is so lost in the impression and the screenplay gives nothing else to do uh beyond that impression that the the film ends up kind of kind of falling flat and i think you know maybe there's kind of two legacies you know this film seems to have for for man one is i think this is his first time shooting digitally yes i believe it and i don't think it looks good but man loves it no, the scenes here that are definitely digital camera, like the the you know knights on the rooftop type stuff, like him, you know, like doing his training in the beginning, like 
I can understand why he would have thought that was an interesting way to shoot that stuff to make it look a little more gritty and a little more on the ground than the, you know, the full on film stuff. But digital technology being where it was in 2000, 2001, it just looks grainy as shit and not in a way that really befits the rest of the film. I like I was like, what happened to this transfer? Like the like the first time I was like, what on earth is going on here? Did they, like did they lose the original? But no, it's just like that generation digital cameras got noisy as hell uh, yeah. so quickly. But man comes out of this being like correctly, these things are the future, and I suspect they are particularly alluring to man because as as Diaz reminded us a lot in in other episodes we've done, man loves shooting in environments that are just nightmares if you're shooting on film. Right. And digital gets you out of that in a lot of cases. Right. Digital opens up possibilities for lighting and capturing scenes that are just not open uh, to someone shooting uh, on film. And I do feel like in some ways you could look at uh, collateral, which, you know, we're we're talking about next as kind of a correction for what happens with you know, with, with, with Ali. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, mean it, I not- it, it tightly focuses it. Like Ali has a question of like, what the fuck is this movie about? Who's the antagonist? What, right. Who are the characters? Collateral. Oh, that's not in question in. at all in collateral. No. Yeah. It yeah. is a complete character study, uh, through the lens of a relationship over the course of one incredibly violent night. Yeah. And Jamie Foxx is going to be the one holding this down and the other half of it. Like it is like it, like in the wake of this, I look collateral now as like a we are leaving nothing to chance. Right. Because he realizes like what he's got in Jamie Foxx. Uh, he like narrows he the, the focus. biggest movie star in the world to play this other character and a movie star who I think it was only becoming truly clear at that point is similarly weird about authenticity the way man is and it's it yeah. to me the strangest thing about this is this is their only collaboration because i cannot imagine two creators who would seem more simpatico in terms of how they like to approach their craft but you know i also Cruz got his I, pet director with macquarie it's true. And I also do wonder if maybe there's a little bit of like two percent, two perfectionists kind of bumping up against one another. I mean, I think man has I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about collateral, but I think man has always been very complimentary about Cruise and his work ethic and the way that they work together. But he has never been like, I can't wait to work with Tom Cruise again. And I'm, you know, I wonder if maybe there are some reasons for that. But well, hey, collateral is a hell of a movie and I can't wait to watch it again. And I mean, it is fair, like. Outside of his cast of like the ensemble theater troupe that he carries with him mm-hmm. uh, throughout a lot of his career. Shout out to Bruce McGill also shooting out here, shooting up here again. <laughs> just to, just being absolutely menacing. Uh, just to hang like, out in Africa for a little while. Hey, can you just deliver this line in French and just scare the shit out of everybody? Great. Uh, but outside of those people who'd like work with man again and again, I mean, he does not seem to work with the same leading men very often more than once. Uh, Chino is like the, the rare limit. exception. Yeah. And Fox and Fox, this goes famously wrong with Miami vice, like arguably like man pushes and pushes and like 
you know, the question of who is at fault for what happened with Miami Vice uh, and like, you know, who was difficult to work with uh, is is one we'll probably get into. But it does seem very likely that in addition to that, like two perfectionist thing you're you're talking about, uh, Alex, it's just like. A man film seems like a hard thing uh, to endure more than once. Uh, you yeah. know, we like in the comments that, um, you know, the leads in Last of the Mohicans uh, came like enormously proud of it. Also, it was like they were deployed to <laughs> deployed mm-hmm. to a foreign country uh, for like months on this shoot, and it was not fun. Uh, yeah. So, so I'm I'm curious if that's part of the uh, the explanation for this. But, but yeah, I, I think like Ali is is sort of a mystifying misfire, and 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 maybe it's partly that it is tough to make a movie about an American saint, uh, particularly while he's still alive. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I guess the version that came out on Blu-ray around whatever the last release was, that was the version I watched. They added a little Muhammad Ali, you know, birth year 2016 to it because obviously they couldn't do that while he was still alive. And I don't know that it needed that necessarily, like just a little bit of text on screen at the end to be like, oh, by the way, he's passed on. Like, we love you, big really- guy. It doesn't really affect any aspect of the story they're telling. It just feels like a weird little addition. It just makes it feel more like a weird tribute. And it's like, the weird thing is, like, Spike and Malcolm X with black kids from all around the world doing the I am Spartacus thing. Yes. And you're like... You know what? After three and a half hours, you get to do this victory lap. Absolutely, yeah. hell, hell yes! Like, uh, like bring bring out Nelson Mandela. Uh, you know, talk about how this how this legacy lives on. Go for it, and it doesn't feel unctuous the way that little legend does. Yeah, and I think part of it is because like in that whole film, like it is an admiring portrait of Malcolm X, but like the I guess the work that is done for Spike Lee in making that film is that at a pivotal moment in it, Malcolm X, his later days are him also realizing that he's been wrong about a lot of stuff um, mm-hmm. and that he has been put in some boxes by his association with the nation that he now wants out of. And sort of the great question is where does his career go if he's, if he's not assassinated. Um, and so he's, he's sort of given that kind of arc, but with Ali, it's just, you know, a complete, this is an American icon what do we do with this guy? Uh, and the answer is sadly in, in Ali, not very much. Yeah. Like I will, I will just go on record here as saying, this is my least favorite of the man things we have watched so far. And as much as I think keep is the keep is like a much more like spectacular failure. There is a spectacular quality to it. There is something of, of the director working what feels like so far outside his wheelhouse and really just getting stuck waist deep in it while he's trying to figure out how to make this movie work. And then the studio stuff on top of it, like the keep is a weird fucking movie. And that's at least interesting to me. Ali is neither weird nor interesting nor exciting really. And I think that I just, it feels like a bizarre blip that maybe is a little less of one as we get into the very late stages of man's career. But it is, but at this stage, it feels like the thing that just works the least. So next time we are going to look at 2004's Collateral, uh, starring oh, yes. uh, Fox and Cruz. And 
I it's been a it's been a few years since I've seen it. Uh but certainly I now appreciate much more how much this is a return to familiar themes and yes. stomping grounds for man uh as well as in some ways a response to the lack of thematic focus uh that plagues Ali. Collateral is one of maybe the most like razor honed uh films in in man's career uh and i'm and it's another one of those that catch me on the right day i would say this is his greatest work uh Mm -hmm. and so i'm i'm eager to revisit collateral uh in a month's time until then uh thanks for listening and subscribing to waypoint plus uh and putting up with our extremely specific bullshit uh especially when it is about a somewhat middling offering uh in in the great man's career but a good reason to rewatch when we were kings and malcolm x that's that's time that's always time well spent peace